Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And it is morning time. (laughs) I am watching the sunrise. I am not even kidding. (laughs) We usually film at night. We're switching it up because yesterday got away from us. I had an appointment with my dog, Gracie, got her first round of chemo. Let's just say it took a little longer than I anticipated. So Annie is up with me at 7 a.m. Excuse our scratchy voices, (laughs) but I have some what I call Christmas coffee and Hopefully we could stay awake throughout this episode. <laughs> well, we hopped on and I'm like, we always do a little sound check. You know, Elise, how do you sound? I'm like, how do I sound? And she said, you sound good. I'm like, no, I feel like I sound weird. And she's like, it's because it's in the morning. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I haven't spoken a word until I started talking to you. And I'm like, oh, <clears throat> pardon me. <laughs> Remember those throat monsters from last episode? Oh, yeah. I might have a couple of them in this. But Annie sent me a message. I have not gotten the chance to watch it. But apparently there is a must-watch true crime show out. It is must-watch. It's a movie. It's called Gone Mom, and it's on Hulu. And it's based on a true story. I'm going to read the little lifetime blurb. The disappearance of Jennifer Dulos details the story of Jennifer Dulos, the wealthy Connecticut mother of five who mysteriously vanished on May 24th, 2019. Jennifer believed she had found her Prince Charming, Fotis, But by the end of her disappearance, their marriage had all but disintegrated and the estranged couple was engaged in a contentious custody dispute. After she disappeared without a trace, after dropping her kids off at school, the police turned the spotlight on Fotis. Fotis claims that she staged her own disappearance at the time to get away from him. And it's, like I said, a true story. It actually started Jennifer's Law, which loosens the boundaries around domestic violence. Like before, I guess, there had to be X, Y, and Z before it was considered a domestic dispute. Because of her case, it's now like A, B, C, D, E, X, Y, and Z. So highly recommend watching it. I turned it on randomly. I was eating like all my cheesecake. If anyone follows us on Instagram, (laughs) you saw. I was having myself quite the Saturday night. And I stumbled upon it and I was hooked. It's so good. And then, of course, anytime it's a true story, I'm even more fascinated. And they did a really good job about keeping it like on the facts, which I appreciate. Well, I hope that you cover that story, the true story at some point, because I have my own experience, unfortunately, with not so healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. So that'd be very interesting to learn about. But I am going to watch that. I could use some downtime. Maybe yes. not today, but I'm definitely going to watch that. It sounds amazing. It, was this kind of the inspiration for Gone Girl? I don't know. I think that this happened in 2019. I don't know when Gone Girl was released. Hmm. And who names their kid Fotis? Like, it's not a good start. So Gone Girl, yeah, it was released in 2014. So he could have been trying to say, like, we saw Gone Girl. But what this case reminds me of is one happening in Colorado that I'm really interested in. The case of Suzanne Morphew. Mm-hmm. She was the mother who went missing on Mother's Day riding her bike. Her husband was charged with murder. Finally and then he was charged. He was recently released, though. What? No evidence. There's not enough evidence to keep him. So what they are trying to do is say, like, he's free to go while we gather new evidence. One of the stipulations was that just because he's free to go does not mean that they're not looking into him. What they didn't want to do is charge him with murder, have him get away with it, or, you know, have him be right, innocent, be and then find her body. Supposedly, her body's under like six feet of snow in the mountains. But I'm like, the snow's melted. It's come and gone. You know, I don't know. The daughters, obviously, they voice their opinion about how they think their dad is innocent. They're from Indiana, which is why I'm obviously interested because they moved from Indiana to Salida. She went missing. It was all over the news. Everyone's looking at Barry. So I I might get into that with the Jennifer Dulos case. 
That'd be a good one. It's funny how things like fact and fiction kind of tangle together, which leads us into... I'm so excited. Today's episode. And today we're talking about a very special population of the world. (laughs) About 2% of the population to be specific. And a group of people that I am finally in my adulthood proud to claim we're talking all about redheads today. And the crowd goes wild. (laughs) I'm pumped for this. I didn't know 2% of the population. That's so small. You're so special. I know. I'm going to start making sweatshirts. (laughs) (laughs) I know that to say, oh, we're going to talk about redheads on a true crime podcast during spooky season doesn't really sound like it's going to align. Well, it does. We are going back in time today to uncover the mythological and religious theories about redheads and the superstition and very much so persecution they faced and some wild theories about redheads in general. For those that have never seen me before, hi, welcome. I'm a redhead. (laughs) If you haven't been able to tell from that wild introduction about being a part of this special 2% club. I grew up truly any despising my hair color and everything that came along with the territory. I think, and, and maybe that's just my perception, I think it is a little easier for female redheads in this day and age. I think males get teased a little bit more, but I did not like my pale skin, the freckles. And it probably explains a little bit about my addiction to soft tanner. I've tried them all. <laughs> Hit your girl up if you need a recommendation. Because <laughs> I have been all shades of orange and brown from pretty much seventh grade to today. <laughs> so- That's so cute. But I feel like you're extra rare because you also have curly hair. I do have very curly hair, but as you'll see in today's episode, redheads in general are super rare, but I'm not that rare because I have red hair and green eyes, and the rarest of the rare is a redhead with blue eyes. They're basically... Mm. A unicorn. Yep. (laughs) But I remember truly, like as a child, this is burned into my brain, total strangers coming up to my mom at the grocery store and asking to touch my hair or asking my mom where my hair came from. And this answer, I can just spit it out as quickly as she did four generations back on both sides because she had to say it so many times that it is like, (laughs) you know when people talk about developing core memories and it usually Mm -hmm. is associated with like some special, beautiful moment between a child and their parents or jumping in mud puddles, whatever it might be. Mine is literally four generations back on both sides. Because my mom had to say that to so many strangers. And poor thing. I don't know how I'd react as a mom if someone was always trying to touch my kid. That would be very, very bizarre. Yeah, that's super awkward. And it's like personal space, people. Come on. Did you ever like panic there was someone touched you? Or did you become so used to it that it was just unfazing? Well, funny enough that I do like a podcast and I've been on reality TV because as a kid, I was incredibly shy. I was the kid that like whispered their order to their parents at McDonald's so the parents could order it for them. So no, I was not um, really interested in having strangers come up and talk to me or pet my head. (laughs) I'm also just to say as an adult, I still don't want my head petted unless I've asked for it, please. (laughs) Consent is key. (laughs) But as an adult, I have learned to embrace my red hair. I actually went through cosmetology school and during that time tried to color my hair immediately regretted it. I did all shades of red, which was fun. I did like the Rihanna red, all of that. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I dibble dabbled into like the brown territory, I was not feeling it. And that kind of taught me to embrace my red hair because that makes me stand out. 
Yeah, I, f- I feel like you're born to be redhead. You have that fiery spirit and you have like the porcelain skin. I mean, I know you self-tan, but like you have great skin. You have like the bright eyes. No, you're meant to be a redhead and I'm glad you're embracing it. I remember on Instagram, for those that follow me, I was doing a video to just explain to those who don't see me on a day-to-day basis how fair my skin truly is. I had not self-tanned my legs because during winter, I just kind (laughs) of self-tan the parts that are going to show. You know, you got to save that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's expensive. So my legs were their natural shade of translucent. And I was in Blake's shower giving Gracie a bath. And someone asked him why I was wearing socks in the shower. No way. (laughs) And then they started messaging me and DMing me like, Elise, what the heck are you doing? Why do you have socks on in the shower? That's amazing. Those were my feet. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my fault that my feet are as white as socks, okay? (laughs) I I heard Uh, there's a website that – Pays a pretty penny for some feet. I wonder how the white feet go over, like the talk white feet. <laughs> I am on Wiki Feet. Yep, <laughs> yep, I am. I think I have like a four star rating, so they don't mind my white feet. Okay, incredible. <laughs> but yes, the sunless tanning addiction is still there. Yes, I do things to you know tint my eyelashes, or they'd be a fun shade of platinum orange, which makes everybody ask if I'm tired if I don't have mascara on. But I have definitely learned to embrace my red hair and enjoy that it sets me apart. However, today we are diving into some of the theories about redheads throughout history. Why are certain historical figures depicted with red hair? The theories different cultures had about red hair, and it wouldn't be spooky season without talking about witches. And this really wouldn't be a true crime podcast without talking about the murder of thousands of redheads because of their hair color. I'm going to take you back to the very beginning, or at least what Christians believe is the very beginning, because this is the history of redheads. All right, Annie, you grew up Catholic. Mm -hmm. I grew up non-denominational, but I think it's safe to say that you don't even have to grow up in a Christian household to know the story of Adam and Eve. Oh, yes. The most famous redhead of all time. Well. Is she? No. <laughs> in she my in my be. life, she is because of my upbringing and like my Catholic faith. But right. let's hear it. She is and she isn't. But we all know the story. Adam was made from clay. Then from his rib, Eve was made. And they lived in a beautiful garden until a devil disguised as a snake came by and was like, Hey, Eve, what's up? Take a bite of this yummy apple. Tempted Eve to eat the apple. And now as punishment for Eve's disobedience of God, we have period cramps and painful labor. Mm-hmm. We all know the story. But did you know in certain religious and mythological tales, Eve was not the first wife of Adam? A plot twist. That title belongs to Lilith. Now, Lilith was basically the first feminist if the story of Lilith is to be believed. I'm giving my spin to this story because, frankly, there's a ton of different variations and versions of this story. So don't take this as religious doctrine here. It's just the summation of all the stories about Lilith. Lilith was made of the same clay as Adam. And so when Adam was trying to be Mr. Tough Guy, I make the decisions around here, Eve, you're my wife, you must be subservient. Lilith was not having it. And she asked him, hey, Adam, we are made from the same thing. You know, that clay, the clay you're molded from, I'm made from the same clay. So I'm your equal and you need to treat me as such. Absolutely. Well, Adam refused to put aside his fragile masculinity and Lilith bolted from the Garden of Eden. So what does Adam do? He tattletales to God, 
And God decides to send three angels to find Lilith. They found her in a cave, apparently in labor, and the angels told her to get her butt back to the Garden of Eden and her hubby Adam. When she refused, the angels promised to kill a hundred of her children every day for her disobedience. Now, at first I was reading this and I was like, wait, wait, wait. A hundred children a day? That seems a little unsafe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then it hit me. If Lilith and Adam were the first people on the planet, then we all would either be descendants of Adam and Lilith or Adam and Eve. So anyone in the world could be considered either a child of Eve or a child of Lilith. So it makes a little bit more sense than her just popping out 100 babies a day (laughs) because like, ouch, ouch. (laughs) Now, Lilith obviously was not happy about this. So in revenge, she was thought to steal the lives of babies and infants, basically the cause of stillborns and SIDS. She's doing a little you take mine, I take yours action to Adam and Eve's descendants. Apparently, male babies were safe from Lilith's wrath after eight days. And, you know, go figure – Female babies were safe after 20 days. They had a lot more time to just, you know, potentially be killed off by Lilith and her army of demon children. But after a while, Lilith returned to the garden. She wanted to check in. You know, she's like scrolling his Instagram, checking those DMs, (laughs) seeing what he's up to. And she goes back, checks on her husband and finds that he has moved on with Eve. She may not have liked Adam's domineering ways, but I suppose she didn't like the idea of him shacking up, replacing her with Eve. I get it. (laughs) We all have the ex that we don't necessarily want to be in, but we don't want to see the pictures of them happy with their new girlfriend on the internet either. And we definitely don't want them to be happier before we're happier. It's like a race to the happiness. Race to joy. (laughs) Probably should be a good life motto and not one that is ego-driven, but here we are. You know, I digress. (laughs) So she strokes her ego by having sexual relations with Adam behind Eve's back. Maybe this is when Eve was off talking to the snake. Who knows? But Eve was leaving her man behind for just one minute and Lilith swooped in and, quote unquote, stole his seed. Now, we're not talking about flower seeds here, guys. We're talking about baby naked seeds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) With his seed, she bears earthbound demons to replace the children killed by the angels for her disobedience. And if there's any boys out there who have some spicy dreams late at night or perhaps are tempted to indulge in a little self-pleasure, you can also blame Lilith for that because legend has it that's how Lilith continues to impregnate herself to this day to create her little spawn of demon children. That is fascinating. I've never heard of this, you know, legend, myth, whatever you want to call it, but oh my gosh. And while Lilith is not, you know, talked about in Genesis, I believe there is just one passage somewhere in the Old Testament that makes mention of Lilith just being a earthbound demon person. So wow. she is listed by name, but she in like traditional Christian belief, she is not Adam's first wife, but in some like mystolo- um mm-hmm. what's that word? Mythological? Myth. Uh, no, mystical, like Jewish, like Kabbalah and things of that nature. That's where mm-hmm. you'll see Lilith come up quite a bit more. You can find references to Lilith now, still today in pop culture. She's depicted in movies and stories as moving on from Adam and marrying the original bad boy himself, Lucifer, and even makes an appearance in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe when they discuss the White Witch. In his book, Lewis writes, She'd like us to believe that she is a human, but it's on that that she bases her claim to be queen. But she's no daughter of Eve. She comes of your father, Adam, his first wife. Her, they called Lilith. 
if you know any of the like religious ties to the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis masked very cleverly the story, like biblical stories, as the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and the whole Chronicles of Narnia. And so the White Witch, who is known to be quite terrible and turned people to stone and wanted to get all of the, if you, I can't quote it per se because I don't have it in front of me, but I remember her specifically saying that she was going after all the daughters of Eve and all the sons of Adam is because the White Witch was, in this story, Lilith's daughter. You are blowing my mind at 7.32 in the morning. Well, that might not be that hard because the coffee really <laughs> kicked in yet. Fair. <laughs> my dog sat on command and I thought I was just winning of the day. <laughs> Lilith is commonly depicted as, drumroll please, a redhead, of course, which is why perhaps... This began the theory that redheads were succubuses using their womanly ways to seduce men and steer them astray and causing all sorts of horrible things to children in response to the angels killing her own children. But that's just one redheaded woman's wrath. What about other redheads? We're going to stick to this little Sunday school lesson for a bit longer. You remember that Jesus had 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. And Sunday school surprise test, little pop pop quiz. Oh, Do you remember which disciple betrayed Jesus? If I heard his name, I would be like, that's him. Um, Starts oh. with a J. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Just tell me. Judas. Judas. My mom is totally going to be like, you didn't know Judas. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Judas betrayed Jesus to the Sanhedrin. What he did was he took 30 silver coins as payment for betraying Jesus. He walked up to him in the garden, kissed him on the cheek, and called him rabbi, which was basically code to let the soldiers know who Jesus was, and they arrested him, which is pretty darn terrible. Like, mm-hmm. you're walking around following Jesus around, and then you go stab him in the back with this. But that is not where the story ends. Judas was certainly not a good friend. His betrayal initiated literally the death of Jesus. But it said after Jesus was arrested, Judas immediately regretted his decision and tried to return the silver to the chief priests. Afterwards, he hanged himself. Now, this is mentioned in the Bible. But what happened after he hung himself? Well, enter in a little spooky ooky true crime slash Halloween mischief here because... Was Judas the first vampire? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? In 843 AD, a Catholic monk named Aid wrote the book of, I'm going to pronounce this wrong probably, but Agula. In it, he said that God punished Judas by bringing him back to life after he had hung himself. He was condemned to roam the earth until the final days. Judas, a redhead, who probably didn't have SPF back in the day, would learn to fear the sun and would walk the earth in darkness only feasting on the blood of living humans for all of eternity. But remember what he betrayed Jesus for? Some silver coins? Mm-hmm. It was believed silver could be used as a weapon against him, burning him to the touch. Oh, and the super fun for us part is believed that future redheads would carry this mark. The red hair would be a sign that they were descendants of Judas. So let's backtrack. Aversion to sunlight, feasting on human blood, damned to roam the earth in darkness, and can be hurt with silver? Sounds a lot like the vampires and werewolf stories we're told, doesn't it? It checks the boxes. It certainly does. And thanks a lot, Judas, for being a real bad friend, because this theory about redheads being related to Judas continues. As late as the 19th century in France, the phrase Paul de Judas, 
probably pronounced that wrong, but it translates to hair of Judas, was still being used to describe. In fact, in Christian Europe, the stereotype continued and redheads were believed, well, to be an example of sexual desire and all things unholy. You know, casual. Yeah, casual. (laughs) And here's where your thought about Eve comes back around. Because if you look at the paintings from brilliant minds like Michelangelo, Eve herself is a blonde before she eats the apple and is depicted as a redhead after she gives into temptation. No way. So you were right. She was a redhead as well, but only after she gave in to sin. Because, you know, come join us on the fun side. (laughs) Unfortunately, these stories persisted throughout history. To give you a little breakdown of just how widely it was believed that female redheads were some sort of temptress sex kittens up to no good and redheaded men were not to be trusted, let's look at some quotes and goings-ons with redheads throughout history. In ancient Egypt, redheads were buried alive as offerings to the god Osiris, which was the corn god. And after their death, their ashes were scattered in hopes of a good corn crop. This happened annually. However, the most cunning and powerful rulers of ancient Egypt were redheads. I'm sure you know the names Ramses, Cleopatra. Ramses was revered as one of the greatest rulers, and Cleopatra's legacy continues on. To this day, even. Everyone knows who Cleopatra is. Well, guess what? Both of them? Yep. Redheads. So if you want to dress up as Cleopatra this Halloween season, to make it historically accurate, you would wear that same bob, but it would need to be in a ginger color. It's actually said that she was one of the first people to use henna to enhance her natural hair, which a lot of redheads still use henna today to really brighten up their red hair. Wow. Yeah, I always picture her having like jet black hair. But I think that's just because of the of Egypt, you know. Right. But nope. She was a ginge. Amazing. I guess I know my Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think everyone would be confused. They would just probably think I was trying to be like a weird Amy Winehouse with funky eyeliner or something. <laughs> but the ancient Greeks were only slightly more kind to redheads. In fact, most of their female statues' hair was painted red. This could be because they just had limited color. But it was also believed that the color red was associated with courage and honor. I like that too. And I totally align the two. So that's approved. The goddess Aphrodite was said to be a redhead, you know, the goddess of love, beauty, sexuality. And in Homer's Iliad, he talks about Helen of Troy. She was apparently the most beautiful woman in the world. Guess what? Also a redhead. But they didn't get it all right. Ancient Greeks also believed that once a redhead dies, they would return as a vampire. Maybe this goes back to the Judas story. Who knows where this began? But it was common knowledge that, you know, Redhead dies, she's coming back with a fury. Aristotle, however, and you probably would recognize that name, he would tell people that redheads were emotionally unhousebroken. Uh, unhousebroken. <laughs> like, thanks, my guy. I'll show you emotionally unhousebroken. Right. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> this may have also explained why Little Mermaid was depicted as a redhead. Sirens throughout ancient Greek mythology were thought to lure sailors with beautiful songs into the rocks and to their death. And of course, redheads were known to be the temptresses. So maybe this is why Ariel was given red hair in the modern adaptation of a mermaid. Mm. In ancient Rome, redheaded slaves were sold at a higher rate because they were thought to be some sort of good luck charm. 
little leprechauns, I don't know. But, <laughs> I mean, at least we're pulling in more money, I guess. But right. not for ourselves, for our owners. But here's where things get real witchy. The color red was considered the devil's color. During the 16th to 18th century, there was a nasty little rumor going around that redheads got their hair color because they had stolen the fire of hell. And Annie, from now on, I'm officially going to blame any bad mood on, sorry, it's the hellfire coming out of me. It's not my fault. I'm not responsible. Can't blame me for being a little bit of a bizzo the other day. It's the hellfire. I mean, I think that gives me like a solid case for not being responsible. Right. <laughs> Just that hellfire I stole, no problem. They believe that red hair showed an alliance with everything dark and satanic and must, I repeat, must, and maybe the only proof that redheads had to be witches. During the witch trials, it's estimated that 45,000 redheads were burned alive or killed. And during the 15th century in Germany, this little rumor was taken way too seriously, and they also did not have to really prove that redheads were witches. Their red hair alone was enough for them to torture and murder redheads. That's horrible. During the Holocaust, it was thought that many redheads were Jews. Whether this was true or false probably leans more towards the false side, but redheads didn't really fit in with the Aryan mold, you know, blonde hair, mm -hmm. blue eyes. So. Adolf Hitler banned redheads from marrying each other in hopes of, and I quote here, stopping deviant offspring. See, that was my question. You hear about all these redheads being murdered by the masses. How are there still redheads today? And I think back, well, there's only 2%. There is only 2%, and it's also a recessive gene. So both parties have to have be carriers of the recessive gene to produce a redhead. So, for instance, like my parents, my dad is blonde hair, has light eyes. My mom is a brunette. I think she has brown eyes. Sorry, mom. I'm sure they're lovely. Yes, yeah, she does have brown eyes. I've done her makeup before. So they were quite shocked when they had three redheaded children. And like I said, that four generations back on both sides is like burned into my brain. It was way back, again, four generations before there was another redhead in the family because two people both have to carry the recessive trait for a redhead to pop out. Wow. We're getting a history and a science lesson. Oh, we sure are. And it continues. I feel like those TV infomercials, I'm like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more. <Yeah. laughs> While we may know a bit more about redheads these days, thank you, science, you will often still see them depicted in movies the same. The male redhead, I mean, come on. He's the nerd, the outcast. No one wants him, right? And the female redhead is the exact opposite. She's this wild temptress. She's the naughty librarian. Think Jessica Rabbit and Poison Ivy. And thanks to South Park, people might think that we steal souls. I'm like, got to get into the gingers have no souls that I grew up like in elementary school. You hear that horrible saying, you have no soul. Is that just because of the vampire? No, you can thank the creator of South Park for that because that ginger has no souls is ah. a South Park episode about redheads. And some idiots, you know, I'll rephrase, I'll say some juveniles that don't have their frontal lobe completely developed yet, took this South Park episode a little too seriously and started actually attacking redhead classmates. In 2015, redheaded students were attacked at Melrose Veterans Memorial Middle School, that is a mouthful, in Massachusetts. It was called Kick a Ginger Day, and it was held on November 20th after the South Park episode came out. 
And these poor little middle schoolers were attacked on their way to class if they had ginger hair. Some just got little kicks in the shin. Some ended up kind of bruised and bloody. That was not going to fly, obviously. So Kiss Good. a Ginger Day, which is January 12th, was founded by Derek Forgey to counter Kick a Ginger Day, which occurs every November. And I just want to say I'm only celebrating one of those two. And again, um, please don't kick me, but you can kiss me with consent. Thank you. <laughs> Now, this wouldn't be a true crime podcast without talking about the murder of redheads. And no, I'm not referring to the thousands that were killed during the witch hunts. October 1978 to 1992, it's believed that there was a serial killer who chose redheads exclusively as his victims. There are 14 women suspected of being victims of this killer, and their bodies were just disposed of on the side of the road throughout the Bible Belt states. While the killer is still unknown, most people believe that it was a trucker named Jerry Lee Johns, which have you started to notice that if someone has three first names as their name? <laughs> Red flag. Seriously. <laughs> it keeps coming up. Anyway, Jerry Lee Johns had attacked and attempted to strangle a woman with red hair. He left her near the highway, assuming she was dead. So definitely fits the M.O. He was later dismissed as a serial killer, but in 2016, CODIS would match his DNA to one of the other victims, Tina Farmer, and he would have been prosecuted for her murder, but he died just the year before in 2015 in jail. So he is suspected to be the killer, but they don't know if it was him acting alone or if mm. this was multiple people, but there was 14 redheads that unfortunately were killed and just scattered alongside of the road like, like so trash. So sad. Ugh. So history tells us that redheads, well, we've always been a source of speculation. And I don't mind that. You know, speculate away. But I'm going to let you, Annie, speculate on some redhead theories. Let's play a little game of fact or fiction. I'm going to read off a little trivia tidbit, and I want you to tell me if you think that it's true or not. Okay. But I will give you this hint. Now that science can explain why people are redheads, again, it's a mutation of the MC1R gene, that recessive gene. It may have also proven that we do have some special powers that you, brunettes and blondes, just lack. lack. <laughs> okay. So, fact or fiction? Redheads have a higher pain tolerance. Fact. You are correct. Research shows that people with red hair perceive pain differently than others, and it makes them more sensitive to certain types of pain and can require higher doses of pain-killing medications and also anesthesia. You can Wild. ask my dentist about this. <laughs> it's thought on average that for someone to stay numb, that's a redhead, to stay numb or to stay under, they need about 20% more than someone of the same height and weight of them. That's a lot. It is a lot more. I can tell you going to the dentist is not a fun experience for me because that Novocaine lasts, mm, and I'm not exaggerating, maybe three minutes and I'm back to feeling everything. So I have kind of a grin and bear it when it comes to dentist work because I get so sore from the amount of needles they have to put in my gums that usually by the end of the appointment, I just give up and say, just go for it. Because I would <laughs> rather just cry through the pain of the procedure oh. rather than keep getting shots that don't do anything. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely attest to that. And I have woken up when I was under, but that's a story for a different day. <laughs> While we might be more sensitive to certain types of pain, Studies suggest that general pain tolerance is higher in redheads. So 
you know, if I'm complaining that I'm not feeling good, right? listen up because I'm not <laughs> feeling good. And for any of my future spouse out there, I don't want you to hear about your man cold, okay? Right. Don't <laughs> even bring it up. All right. Fact or fiction? Redheads have Irish or Scottish ancestry? Fact. Fiction-ish. What? By those populations today have a high percentage of redheaded folks, historians believe that red hair actually originated in Central Asia about 50,000 years ago. It's believed that there are so many redheads in Ireland, Scotland, and Scandinavia because they migrated to those areas to seek cooler climates. You know, we don't do so well in the sun. (laughs) And speaking of which... Redhead skin is pretty sensitive to the sun. We all know mm-hmm. that. There's a reason oh, yes. I'm addicted to sunless tanner and <laughs> and pretty much a vampire when I lived in Scottsdale. Uh-oh. Maybe the rumors are true. Redhead skin is sensitive to the sun, so they often lack vitamin D. True or false? True. False. Oh, I'm one for three. <laughs> redheads are awfully pale and more prone to sunburn and skin cancer. But to make up for that, redheads kind of evolved to produce their own vitamin D, even in low light situations. So what? That's I'm so just cool. over here producing vitamin D while you have to go sit in the sun and Give wrinkle. Me some of that. But that is the end <laughs> of today's case. I can't say case. It's the end of today's episode. I just thought we would have I a very it. lighthearted look back through the mythological stories about redheads and maybe why we have some of the, you know, theories and some of the bullying that still happens around redheads today. Yeah, truly. But Annie will be back on Sunday with a case that I have been dying to hear her cover. You are covering, drumroll, the Salem Witch Trials. And she has done a ton of research. I'm so excited. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it because, I mean, it was such a piece of our history that Everyone's heard of the Salem Witch Trials, but really getting into the why and the group of girls who started this mass murder event is wild to me, to say the least. But we'll get into it, and I'm excited to bring it to everyone. On Sunday, we're going to be talking all things Salem Witch Trials, but as always, until then. 